Cody Field. Um, it's going to be an opportunity for our community to come together and worship, and hopefully some unchurched people will be there who will hear the gospel and respond to it. A lot of the folks um, who are heading this, this drive up to bring leading concert artists to Tifton are in our church. And uh, we have a video this morning encouraging your support in prayer, uh, in, in your efforts, any work you can help perform in setting up on the 20th and getting ready for the 21st uh, at the football field. Uh, as a counselor, if we have three or 400 decisions, we're going to need a lot of counselors. Anything you can do to help, we're going to watch a video to prepare us for that. You know, that, that morning, and, and everyone's heard that story in Chick-fil-A, um, and just simply, guys, we're going to have a free concert in Tifton, Georgia. And then from there to spending time in prayer to uh, that night about 3 in the morning, um, road less travel, promote human development through Christ, and create a board for accountability. So that got put together, and we had our first event with New Song, uh, tremendous turnout. Uh, then from there, we did some follow-up events. Um, our next event, we had Michael W. Smith last year. That was really unique. Uh, the thing, you know, with the New Song event, there were, you know, 200 and some odd people that came down and accepted Christ or either rededicated their life. And uh, that was really, really awesome. And it's really amazing at what's really happening in our community. We're really excited about what's to come with this. You know, uh, Jeremy Camp, Francesca Battistelli, and Adam Kappa, they are great artists, but what means more than just a great artist is their heart. And uh, I, I had an opportunity this past weekend to go and meet Jeremy Camp. And I, you know, and I told Jeremy, I said, Jeremy, when we were booking this concert, my question to those guys were, look, we don't, we're, just, we're not just about a concert. Um, our passion is to worship. And we want somebody that's going to come that just truly enjoys worship. And I know there's a lot of artists that do enjoy worship. And, and I asked them, I said, who is, who's someone that you would recommend? I said, because, you know, I know a lot of these artists that I listen to. And, <clears throat> and they said, Jeremy Camp. And, and I told Jeremy that, and, and he got really emotional, you know, when I was talking with him about that because it, it blessed his heart to hear that. And, and, you know, after, I've never seen him in concert, but after watching him in concert and, and watching him, it, it wasn't to perform. It wasn't to put on a show. He was truly led by the Holy Spirit during the whole event as to when to pick up his Bible and start sharing, when to totally stop. And, 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 and talk and uh, you know he, he, he gave an altar call there at the end of the event and had everyone grab hands and just you know come together as one and, and you know that was really really neat to, uh, to see that but you know I'm excited about, about we're, we're all excited about the event and it has been a, a tremendous um, task it's a lot it really is it, it, you know it, it takes um it takes, you know, a lot of ushers to make the event go on, John. It takes uh, counselors. This year, last year, we had around 400 counselors, and we need counselors uh, because there'll come a time Jeremy's going to give the invitation. And, and you know, our prayer, I, I don't want to put a number on it, and I don't want to get caught up in a number because I'm going to tell you something. When a family comes together, 
through worshiping Jesus Christ for the first time, that's strong. There's power in that. When a mother and a father were on the brink of destruction in their marriage and they don't go there, there's power in that. When you see a little kid, I got chills, man, wow. When you see a little kid and their mamas and their daddies worshiping, wow, man, that's what it's about. When you see a, when you see a kid that was caught up in drugs or alcohol or even an adult, and they have an experience, and they turn from those wicked ways, there's power in that. It's not just about a concert. I mean, and, and there's so many different things that, that man, wow. It's amazing. So, I mean, you know, our community support is huge. You know, it takes um, the, biggest, the biggest thing about all of this, John, and I've said it since the day one, and I'll say it to the end, and that's prayer. If we go to the Lord every day, because the more of us that are coming to Him, I know it's a blessing in His eyes. If we come to Him every day and pray for this event, Lord, have Your way. Because our prayer is, Lord, our prayer is for someone to experience His glory in a way that they never have. It's coming. The We Cry Out Tour with Jeremy Camp. Live in concert, featuring reigning GMA Artist of the Year, Francesca Bonastelli, and special guest, Adam Kappa. April 21st, Brody Field, 7.30 in Tifton, Georgia. For more info, go to roadlesstraveledministries.com. date for that event one more time is April the 22nd. We will be delighted to be a part of that ministry as uh, they bring that, uh, those great artists into this community to proclaim Christ and hopefully reach others in the name of Jesus. Matthew 21, 9, it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Little children had gathered along the highway and the byway into the city of Jerusalem, and there were adults there too, I'm sure, and they were waving palm branches and crying out, literally, Save us. Save us. The word they used was Hosanna. Will you please stand as we sing Hosanna, loud Hosanna.
Father, as we gather here in your house, we thank you for the willingness of our Lord Jesus to enter the city knowing what surely lay ahead for him, a trial, a cross, a death, but then a glorious resurrection. Father, we're sorry for the sins we have committed for which a penalty had to be paid. And we praise you that you sent your son to do so. As we worship you today, Lord, open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive a new understanding of you and your word and your love for us and your mercy extended to us. An understanding, help us respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. We want to welcome you to First Baptist Church on this beautiful Palm Sunday. Um, It's so exciting to see all the children excited about the egg hunt this afternoon. And I even saw a few uh, of our 10th graders, I believe, boys uh, singing Hosanna through the halls and the children in the preschool wing. And they had some children join them. So that was just a lot of fun and just reminding us why we are here and why we're here to worship that he is our risen Lord. If this is your first Sunday worshiping with us, we want to extend a special welcome to you. And we're just going to ask that you remain seated for just a moment so that our ushers can give you a a welcome packet. And then there is a form if you would just fill it out. Welcome and thank you for joining us in worship today at First Baptist Tifton, Georgia. My name is Dan Richardson and it's my pleasure to welcome you today. As you're watching through our television ministry, we hope that you consider becoming a part of the worship service through your singing and also opening your Bible as our pastor takes us through Bible study and through God's Word. We have counselors standing by for any need that you might have and we encourage you to call us at 382-6063. We also invite you to join us on our website which is www.fbctifton.org. You can go on our website and find many of the activities and ways that we at First Baptist Church of Tifton are reaching out to the surrounding community and showing God's love to others. Our goal here through this TV ministry today is to show God's love and God's word to you and God's message that of coming to a lost and dying world. Again, we thank you for joining us in worship. And if you have a prayer need or any need that we can help you with, please call us at 382-6063. Thank you and have a good day. Amazing the presence
special in Sunday school for Palm Sunday? Who did? Who did? Anybody? I saw y'all with palm branches. Did y'all have palm branches? You remember the children when they were, when Jesus was entering Jerusalem, they waved palm branches and they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus was coming into the city of Jerusalem and they just praised him and worshiped him. And it was a wonderful day. And we remember that as we gather here to worship him, to praise him. And uh, it's a wonderful day to be in God's house and sing Hosanna to his name. I think, is it Julia Merriman has the, has the happy club bag? Is there anything in here? Julia? Where is it? April Fool's. <laughs> April Fools. Okay, it's inside this. I saw Julia had this back. Is my face red? I saw Julia had this on her on her back. Let me see what's in here. Oh, some action figures. Is it action figures? Julia's. I dropped one. What are they? Huh? People. Okay, they're people. What do they do? Her dollhouse, and, and it looks like they're like they have special outfits on. Are they like from outer space or something from the future? They take over people's bodies. They take over people's bodies. Okay. They don't. No, they don't. This one's got on a uniform. That one sneaked in. He's not supposed to be there. You dug a foxhole and buried them three feet deep. And they were resurrected. A wading pool. Okay. Well, well, boys and girls, you know what? Golly, there's so many. There's so many people, a family, and they're so different, and they all have on different clothes and different responsibilities. And, and here's and here's some babies too. There's a little baby. And, and I know they're in your dollhouse and you move them around and you play with them. But you know what, boys and girls, I'm so glad that God doesn't treat us like that. I knew you, would say that. you knew I was going to say that. What, what does God do? He doesn't treat us like puppets. He doesn't treat us like little toy figures to move around and you go do this and you say this and, and you make this. God gives us freedom to be who he created us to be. And most importantly, with that freedom, he wants us to love him. He wants us to serve him, and he wants us to worship him. And we have the freedom to do so today. And that's what, that's what love is. Love is all about choosing to love God, wanting to love God because he first loved us. Not because he made us love him, but because we want to. So let's thank God for creating us, not like puppets, not like dolls who just get moved around, but, but people who can love him with all of our hearts. Let's pray. Let's pray. And, and you pray after me. Dear God, thank you for creating us and giving us the choice to love you. Help us love you today 
and Easter Sunday, and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Let me see, Julia, if I can load all these people back in your backpack. And here they go. And I've still got the empty Happy Club bag that you April fooled me on. It's empty. Who, who gets the bags next week? Uh, it's a boy's turn, uh, Jack Connell, right behind you. Where's Jack? Will you take the bag and bring back something special next week? Boys and girls, if you want to go to uh, children's worship, you can go with Miss Sabina. Thank you.
Thank you, Terry. Don't you love a song that tells a story? There was a man, greatest story ever told. Will you stand as we sing praises to him? All glory, laud, and honor.
let everything that is within me praise the Lord. That's why we're here today. You may find this hard to believe, but through our preaching of the Old Testament, we're in the book of Haggai, and, and there is relevance in Haggai for Palm Sunday. We'll get to it in a little bit, but you just have to bear with me in the, in the meantime. We're looking at each book of the Bible. Haggai, if you're looking for it, is only two chapters long. It's almost at the end of the Old Testament. Two books after that before you get to Matthew. But the Lord had it preserved in here for a reason. And so much of the book of Haggai addresses discouragement and offers encouragement. And so the passage that I've chosen is from Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And it's encouragement that the prophet Haggai is offering to the Jews who have returned home from exile and started rebuilding the temple, got discouraged laid down their tools, and went home. Haggai, in effect, is cracking the whip, and he says, get back to work. You're living in fine houses while the house of the Lord lies in ruins. That's not, that's not acceptable. Haggai 2, verse 1 says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you that saw this house, speaking of the temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord, take courage, O Joshua, Son of Jehozadak, the high priest, take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit abides among you. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once again in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house With splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. Haggai is saying, let's get back to work and rebuild the temple. And its glory shall be greater than the temple that used to be here. Let's pray. Father, so many of us have been called to do something for you or we've been called to be in a relationship with you. And we started out with great passion and enthusiasm. But somewhere along the way, our our passion faded and our enthusiasm waned and We aren't as active in your service as we once were. We aren't as excited about our relationship with you as we once were. Wherever we are in that that journey, Lord, remind us that you have called us and that you aren't finished with us. 
and that we cannot quit until the job is finished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we begin, I need to give you a little bit of historical background so you'll understand the setting in which Haggai is prophesying. In 586 B.C., the Babylonian army marched into Judah and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and laid the temple in ruins. You have to remember there was only one temple in Judah. It was in Jerusalem. And the Jews saw the temple as being the place where God dwelt. And as long as Jerusalem was intact and the temple was safe, Israel knew that God was with them and that he would protect them and that he would be with them in all of their endeavors. So imagine how they felt when the Babylonians came in and destroyed the wall and destroyed the city and destroyed and desecrated the temple. It was heartbreaking. It was heartrending for the Jews. It was something that they had never experienced before and did not know how to respond because in effect, it symbolized for them that God had left the building. God had deserted them. That relationship they had with God that had been so sacrosanct, so protected for so long was now separated. They were carried off into exile in Babylon. And they remained there for about 50 years. Almost an entire generation died. But in about 538 BC, the Persians came in and conquered Babylon. And King Cyrus of Persia issued an edict allowing the Jews to come back home to Jerusalem and even permitted them to rebuild the temple. So they, they were excited. They gathered up their belongings. They returned home to Jerusalem. They began the reconstruction of the temple. And after a few months of labor, they quit. They gave up and went back to their houses, discouraged. And that's where Haggai the prophet comes in. He comes in probably a young man, probably very passionate. His his prophecies only extend about a year or two, and they're very carefully dated. Six prophecies in these short two chapters, but almost every prophecy has a precise year of Darius the king, a sixth month, the first day of the month. Later on, it's the second year in the seventh month. It goes on in the 24th day of the ninth month, so you know precisely by the calendar of King Darius when these prophecies were given. The people had started rebuilding the temple. They got discouraged. Haggai came, and he wanted to encourage them to persevere to the end. You know, it's so easy to get discouraged. I have listed three or four reasons for discouragement in your outline, in your sermon, in your worship bulletin this morning. And, and what it strikes me is that the things that discouraged Israel 2,500 years ago aren't that different from the things that discourage us today. So it's still relevant. And the things that Haggai used to encourage them 25 years ago are still relevant to encourage us today. You know, it's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to be disappointed, particularly when the task that you've been given is, is a difficult one. And, you, and the end is nowhere in sight. Um, it, whatever you're doing, whatever God calls you to do, 
it's easy to get discouraged. I remember going out visiting a couple weeks ago, and when we come back in on faith, we have a little after 8 o'clock what we call celebration time, where we share what happened in the visits and, and the good things, the good news we have to report, and we all celebrate together. And John Woodruff pulled me aside, and he said, Brother Wayne, I, I was so discouraged tonight in visiting. And I said, John, what happened? He said, he said, I just don't think I can go anymore. I said, what happened? Tell me about it. And he said, well, I went to a house. And he said, I knocked on the door and I heard people inside. And he said, I saw this girl pull the curtain back and I waved at her. She knew I was there. And somebody in the back of the house hollered, what is it? And the girl who saw me said, I don't know. Some old man's at the door. He said, Brother Wayne, am I, am I that old? I said, no, John, you're young. Stay with it. It's so easy to take just a simple comment and let it discourage you. Can you imagine the excitement of the Jews? How they must have felt when they got word that King Cyrus had issued a decree allowing them to go back home. I don't know if you've ever been anywhere outside the United States. But but let me tell you, when you're in another country, you come to appreciate the United States of America so much more. And I remember very vividly coming through customs into America and and getting passed through customs. And the customs agent says, welcome to the United States. And there's a banner over the doorway that says, welcome to the United States of America. And I wanted to get down on my hands and knees and kiss the ground that I was reentering. It is so good to come home. It must have been something like that many times over when the Jews heard that they were going to finally be allowed to come home after being in exile for 50 years. And not only were they going to be allowed to return home, but they were going to be allowed to rebuild the temple. So they they got home and after a few years, they, they began work. And after a few months, they got discouraged. Opposition set in, apathy set in. They quit. Well, what discouraged them? The first thing that that comes up is in chapter 2, verse 3. Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? He's talking about King Solomon's temple. How do you see it now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yes. In our sight, the temple we're trying to rebuild is nothing in compared to King Solomon's temple. You got to remember the temple that Solomon built was one of the wonders of the world. It was constructed by, with imported cedars from Lebanon. It was constructed with encrusted jewels, and there was an overlay of gold over so much of the temple. And there was no way they were going to be able to rebuild anything anywhere like it. It was impossible, and they got discouraged. You know, so often we hear somebody say, I wish we had the good old days. You remember the good old days? I don't know much about the good old days, but, but I remember an old washing machine my grandmother had in the basement, and she told me it took a whole day to do the laundry. Was that really the good old days, taking a whole day? You know, I think sometimes we remember things better than they really were at the time. It's that way with us in church. You know, I grew up in the baby boomer age, and And when I was coming through church in the um, late, early 70s, anyway, back back there a few years ago, 
the nurseries were bursting at the seams because all the baby boomers were growing up. And I looked in the history of this church and there were Sunday school classes in every nook and cranny. People were crammed in as the demographics of the baby boomers were, were passing through. And boy, those were the good old days. And I heard about revivals where people were circled all around the chapel and there were just literally hundreds of decisions being made in the good old days. And I think about that with us as individuals too. You remember the day when, when you first were saved and you were passionate about your relationship with God or you rededicated your life or, or you decided that everything else that mattered in life was going to take a, a, a back seat to your relationship with God and you were going to get serious and, and you were excited and, and you were growing in your relationship and you were spending quiet time, quality time with him and, and praying and Bible study and journaling and all those days over time just begin to fade a little bit. Because the truth is, it's hard to compete with a past. Because sometimes we make the past bigger than life. The second thing that happened that discouraged them was opposition. <clears throat> there was opposition. As there always is, anytime you attempt anything for God, there's going to be opposition. Satan's not going to sit by and let that go go by smoothly. There were Samaritans in the region. And Samaritans, I have to give you a little background on them. Samaritans were the Jews that remained behind in the northern kingdom after the Assyrians conquered them. The Assyrians were the kingdom to the northeast. <coughs> they came in, conquered <coughs> the northern kingdom of Israel, and intermarried <coughs> Excuse me, with the Jews. They intermarried, and they brought their religion with them. And they built other temples to their gods in areas other than Jerusalem where the only temple, excuse me, to God was to be built. So the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. They were half-breeds, so to speak. The Samaritans, once the Jews began rebuilding the temple, the Samaritans came in and said, we'll help. The Jews said, no thanks. And it made the Samaritans angry, so they did everything in their power to thwart the efforts of the Jews to rebuild the temple. Thirdly, there was a change in priorities. Let me read this. This is in uh, chapter 1, verse 4. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Back up in verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. In other words, the people said, okay, we'll rebuild it, but not right now. This isn't the right time. Let's wait for a better time for it to happen. We'll come back and finish it, but not now. And what replaced their desire to rebuild the temple, verse 4, they wanted to dwell in paneled houses. They wanted to accumulate possessions. They wanted to acquire wealth and allow the house of God to lie in ruins. God said, not so. This is what he said in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you have fared. In other words, remember how you've been blessed. 
Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may appear in my glory, says the Lord. You go out and you get the required building materials and I will help you put it together and I will bless it and I will be with you, says God. In other words, God said, you've started the temple, you've laid a foundation, now you finish it. Be faithful to finish it. You know, as, as I was thinking about that this past week, I couldn't help but wonder if Jesus had that in the back of his mind when he told a parable in Luke 14, verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. It's exactly what had happened to the temple. They began with a foundation and left it. And it was an embarrassment. It's a waste of resources. And they went home and worked on their houses and had fine houses and accumulated wealth and possessions while the temple of God languished. You know, I wasn't going to throw this in, but this is just too good an opportunity. We are about four years into our Forward in Faith campaign. We have raised about four and a half million toward our total six million dollar debt. We have a little over a year remaining, a million and a half in debt remaining. It would be so easy for this church if we all pull together, not if just, not just a few people, to give a great deal. But if everybody did his part, as God said, you're dwelling in panel houses while God's house lies in ruins. Our our temple doesn't lie in ruins, thank God, but we are in a debt of about a million and a half dollars, which we could easily pay off if everybody did their part. That's what Haggai's message is here. You have begun it now, finish it and move on. Why does Haggai say we ought to do that? It comes in our passage today in chapter 2. Reasons for encouragement. This passage keeps you encouraged even when discouragement comes knocking. And there's several reasons here in these nine verses that I want to point out to you. The first one comes in verse 4 of chapter 2. Look at that. Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Zerubbabel was the governor. Joshua was the high priest. You take courage. You're the leaders of the people. You can make this happen. All you people of the land, says the Lord, work. Why? For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. God says, I am with you about 18 times in the Bible. And what's interesting is every time God says, I am with you, the person that he is speaking to is at, a, is at a crossroads, is at a juncture, sometimes a crisis in their lives. And they know what God's calling them to do, but they're reluctant. They're a little hesitant. And God says, look, I'm calling you to do this. I will be with you. Well, we know God's with us. God's always with us. But what does this mean? This means I will help you. I am behind you. I am for you. Anything God God calls you to, to accomplish, he will empower you to do it. He doesn't ask you to do anything that he doesn't give you the strength to accomplish. 
So that's what he's saying. It's not just that, that I'm with you as I always am. I mean, Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's always with us. But when God explicitly says, I am with you, I'm with somebody, that means the task that he's called them to do, he will walk beside them. He will accompany them to see it to fruition. God says, I'm with you. Verse 5 gets even better. According to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit abides among you. Fear not. You know, it's rare that God refers to his spirit in the Old Testament. And this is one of those passages where God reminds his people, I was with you when I led you out of Egypt through the wilderness. God's spirit was so evident, leading them, feeding them, providing for them. Why? Because of the relationship he was in with them from the very beginning of the covenant with Abraham. That covenant existed, and as long as Israel was in that covenant with God, God was with them. His Spirit empowered them to do whatever He called them to do. It was going to happen. So Haggai says, Be encouraged because God is with you, His Holy Spirit will empower you. And third and finally, verse 9. This is really good. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. Well, now how in the world can this latter temple be any greater than the former temple? Didn't they just say that there's no way they could rebuild a temple as great as Solomon's temple with all of its wealth? When Israel was in its, its golden days, <clears throat> there's no way Israel could build a temple physically to compare with the temple of Solomon. But the reason why this temple is going to be greater would happen about 500 years later because on Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem and he entered into this temple that the children of Israel are called to rebuild. And it doesn't matter how great and glorious Solomon's temple was, it cannot compete with a temple that the Son of God entered into on Palm Sunday. So Haggai is saying, you have every reason to be encouraged. Look, God has called you a task and he's going to be with you. And he's given you his Holy Spirit to empower you. And whether you realize it or not, The best is yet to come. It reminds me of what Paul wrote in Romans 8, 18. For us as individuals, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Whatever you're going through, whatever's causing discouragement, listen to me, the same things that Haggai prophesied to encourage Israel God can have his word, can give you that word today. He's with you if he's called you to a task. His spirit will empower you. And I don't care what you're going through that's causing discouragement. It cannot begin to compare to the glory of the world to come. So that brings encouragement. When discouragement is knocking at the door. 
David Brainerd was a missionary to the American Indians, the Native Americans, in the early 1700s, just shortly after this country was founded, or right before. His work was difficult because he was coming along behind white men who had lied to the Indians and slaughtered them and taken advantage of them and taken their lands. David Brainerd kept a diary, and over and over in his diary, he wrote about discouragement. One entry, he says, my heart sank. It seemed like I'd never have any success among the Indians. My soul is weary of my life. I longed for death. Two years, no results. About a year later, about 150 Native Americans came to faith in Jesus Christ. Not what you'd call a great crusade, but it was a beginning. Unfortunately, David Brainerd died about a year later at the age of 29. Only 29. Someone took David Brainerd's diary and published it. That he kept during those times of discouragement. And it has become a classic of Christian devotions. We actually read it in seminary. It's called David Brainerd's Diary. And a young man by the name of William Carey got a hold of that published diary, and he read it. And it influenced him so greatly that William Carey turned around and ignited the modern missionary movement. And when people asked William Carey what was his motivation, what was the impetus that got him started on this missionary movement, he would point to David Brainerd's diary and say, even though he faced discouragement after discouragement, Look how God used him, and he would not allow anything to thwart the purpose to which God had had called him to do. So the message that Haggai gives to us from the Lord is, whatever God has called you to do, don't ever, ever, ever give up, because God is with you. His Holy Spirit will empower you. And no matter how good things may seem today, the best is yet to come. I do not consider my sufferings of this present age worthy to be compared to the glory of the age to come. Don't be discouraged. God has called you to do something. Finish it. In your relationship with Him, if it has taken second seat or third seat on your list of priorities, move it up. Finish it. Be faithful. Because God's with you. And His Holy Spirit will empower you. And the best is yet to come. Shall we bow together? Father, I thank you that that you have chosen, you love us so much that you have chosen to partner with us in your mission in the world. You could have just made us all like puppets, like those little dolls in the bag and forced us all to love you and serve you like robots. Or worse, forced some of us to serve you and others to be thrown aside. But it's your desire to call all of us to salvation. 
It's your desire that we all love you out of our heart's desire freely and willingly. And whatever you've called us to do, if it's a great task, if it's a small task, if it's just in our relationship with you, remind us that you're with us and that your Holy Spirit is more than able to empower us to do whatever it is you've asked. And no matter what darts Satan may be hurling at us today, these present sufferings aren't worthy to even be compared with the glory that is to come. Help us be found faithful and never, ever, ever give up. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to open the doors of of fellowship of our church to you inviting you to join upon profession of